Christian Rob McGregor welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor. And Trish McGregor. And our tech magician producer, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular posts and where you can find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction book is Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. Trisha's latest novel is Skin Shifters. And Rob's latest novel is Tulpas, now available in audio as well as print and ebook. Okay, our guest today is Ken Harris, a retired chiropractor and author of Synchronicity, The Magic, The Mystery, The Meaning. Ken was the founder of the Waldick Wellness Center in New Jersey. The center was a multi-doctor facility providing all-natural health and wellness care for 45 years. As a pioneer in holistic healing, Ken was first established... Ken first established his practice in 1974 and in 1993 established the Mind Body Wellness Education Center, dedicated to the exploration, understanding, and promotion of the mind body spirit connection. Welcome, Ken. I've been looking forward to this. Welcome, Ken. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this as well. Uh, Trish, you and I have been offline speaking. Yes. And like Rob, I, I, I look forward to when we can be uh, in person with one right. another. Like to Hopefully soon. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you have some really great synchronicity stories in your book. So tell us about your Yankee Stadium synchronicity. That one was cool. <laughs> so uh, here's the backstory. Story. When I was 14 years old, I grew up in the South Bronx, and uh, there was a there was a, a newspaper called the New York Mirror. People who are my age will remember it, like the Daily News and the New York Post. Mm -hmm. In any case, they sponsored the Little Fellas League, which was the precursor to the Little League. And I had the opportunity, along with uh, my teammates, we won the championship of the of the city. They let us play a three inning exhibition game before New York Yankees, Kansas City Athletics night game. My claim to fame, my claim to fame, my 15 seconds of fame was I hit a home run in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> that's now, very cool. What does this have to do with synchronicity? That's the backstory. By the way, for those who are saying no way, they bought the fence in 200 feet. It wasn't 295 <laughs> down the right. The old stadium was 295. Because when I tell people this story on the beach, usually, they always squint and they go like, this guy must be BSing us because <laughs> wait, he hit 300 feet. It was brought in by 200 feet. But nevertheless, it was an official home run. So um, some years ago, um, my wife and I, Judith, I'm married to this beautiful woman for 52 years. I don't know how she puts up with me, but she does. <laughs> in any case, we were, we were in Long Island uh, on a little island between the North and the South Fork. 
called Shelter Island. It's beautiful. And you have to take a ferry to get there. On the North Fork, you take a ferry through Greenport. And on the South Fork, you come out through Sag Harbor, which is part of the Hamptons. So my wife says, let's go, let's go uh, do some body surfing. There's no surfing on Shelter Island. It's in the bay. So we get off the ferry in Sag Harbor. And by accident, and as you know, there are no accidents, but by accident, <laughs> when the road bifurcated, I went left instead of right. And we wound up not in the town of East Hampton, but we wound up in the town called Amagansett. They are two miles apart, but anyone who knows the Hamptons knows that it can take you two hours to go two miles. So I said to my beautiful wife, who was disappointed, I said, honey, it's nine o'clock in the morning, same sand, same beach. We're going to make the best of a, of a mistake. So we set up Camp Harris, two umbrellas, two chairs, ocean view. About a half hour later, this guy comes walking down with a cane. Now, you got to understand, there's no one else on the beach, pretty much. And he decides to sit down right next to me. And I realized right up front that the poor guy had his hip replaced by the way he, he gated. He was using a cane and he was limping. So I said, hey, uh, my first impulse was being from the Bronx. Hey, buddy, you want to move? You know, <laughs> you got to sit in my lap. But I didn't say anything. The voice of my soul said, offer help. So I said, can I help you, sir? Can I, I see you're having difficulty. You had your hip replaced. He goes, how do you know? I go, well, I'm a, I'm a chiropractor. I, I can tell by the way you walked here that you had your hip. And I guess you couldn't go any further, so you decided to sit here. So he <laughs> sat down. He didn't engage me initially. About a half hour later, he goes to get back up. Only this time, he puts on a cap, a baseball cap, and it says New York Yankees. So the voice of the soul says, bless his day, Ken. Tell him you're in Yankee Stadium, 15 seconds of fame story. <laughs> so I proceed to tell him. And as I conclude the story, he puts his hands up almost in my face. And I said, oh, boy, maybe this guy's really a Boston guy and he's wearing a Yankee hat. And he says, uh, I know that story is true because I'm Richie. I was on your team, Ken. Oh, my had God. 54 years. I said, wow. I, I was like beyond, beyond. I said, what made you come to the beach today, Richie? And here's the synchronicity. He said, I don't know. I was on my way to Montauk which is the end of Long Island. He said, but years ago, I used to rent a house on Atlantic Avenue on this beach. I said, Richie, so did I. But we <laughs> never met before that day. Huh. Yeah, that's so, yeah. As a result, we had a reunion with the coach who was 90 years old. He was still alive, eight of the nine guys. <laughs> and I wound up helping Richie with his back and the hip problem. So the universe sent us into each other's path for a very specific reason. Jeez, that's really... But you had a, a related experience with one of the other teammates, didn't you, where you decided to meet him for breakfast? Well, that, that, that's, that, that could be a Seinfeld, a Seinfeld movie. <laughs> on, the beach, on the beach, Richie says to me, Kenny, do you remember Nicky, Nicky Calderon? He was the pitcher. I said, sure, I remember Nicky. He was, a, he was an excellent pitcher. He says, well, he lives right next to you in New Jersey. He lives in Ridgewood. Oh, well, I live in Waldwick. So I called, I called Nicky from the beach. I said, hey, Nick, this is Ken. I'm here with Richie. We were, we were, we were commiserating. I said, let's get, to brother, let's get together next week and have breakfast at the diner in, in Ridgewood. So we agreed. I said, I'll meet you early. We'll go and we'll have breakfast and we'll catch up with one another. <laughs> Little did I know. The following week, I, I, I'm walking up to the diner, and there's a guy standing outside the diner looking at his phone. Now, I don't remember what Nikki looked like, and he motions to me to come over to see him. 
So I walk over and I proceed to say, oh, Nick, it's so great to see you, blah, 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 blah. He doesn't say a lot, but everything I ask him, he answers one or two words. And, and I said, well, let's go inside and have breakfast now. He says, I already ate. And I said, well, I said Boy, that, that was rude. He told me to meet him for breakfast. The guy already ate. Anyway, I said, okay, uh, how are we going to do this with the coach? He says, don't worry. I'll take care of everything. I'll call you. I even took a picture with this guy right outside of cell phone. So I then get back in my car. And, and I go to my park, which is about 20 minutes away, and I'm walking around the park. And lo and behold, I get a phone call. <laughs> hey, Ken, this is Nikki Calderon. Where are you? I says, oh, my God, Nikki, don't you remember? We just took a photograph outside the diner. <laughs> he says to me, that was you? I, I, didn't, I thought you two guys knew each other. I didn't know who you were. He says, I'm in the diner. When are you going to come? So I got back <laughs> in my car. I drove back, and the rest is history. We reconnected. <laughs> now, who that, who that guy was will remain a mystery. Trust me. <laughs> and, and I should have known something was not right, because as that gentleman, whoever he was, started to walk away from me, he turned around about 15 feet out and said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And then he says, I don't remember where I parked my car. <laughs> I should have known something was up. Yeah. I don't know who he is. Yeah. Crazy, that is weird. It's a crazy story. Yeah. So, what do you think is the meaning of that uh, synchronicity? I mean, uh, reunion. How, how do you go about uh, deciphering meaning of a synchronicity well, like that? Everybody's got to try to figure it out for themselves. There's no set formula. You know, synchronicity means meaningful coincidence. Not all, not all coincidences are meaningful. Meeting that particular gentleman, I have no idea. But meeting Richie was very significant because I, I wound up helping him with his health condition. Yeah. So maybe this other guy was just a facilitator of some sort. <laughs> I have no, you know, I'll leave it up to the universe. I haven't figured that one out. Many times when you, when you have a synchronistic, synchronistic event, in the moment you don't make the connection. You don't make the, you don't connect right. the dots. But in retrospect, when you think about it, it starts to take on some deeper meaning. Many synchronicities can be actually life-changing. I've had life-changing synchronicities where I met a teacher who I was supposed to meet and put me on a whole new path of my life. So, again, not everyone is a wild synchronicity. Some are just incidental, and others are life-impacting. Mm -hmm. Right. The fake Nick was like an artificial synchronicity. <laughs> I would say that, that that's correct. That's one of the seven categories. You can have artificial ones, too. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you actually uh, predict synchronicity sometime, as I read in your book, like when you knew that a song you were listening to would uh, end precisely as the train you were on pulled into a station. Uh, so is that uh, precognition or is that synchronicity or is that both? Well, I believe there are two mechanisms for uh, synchronistic events. One of them is neuroscience. You can, through a strong intention, create an electrical field in, in, in the brain, in your own brain. And if you can neuralink an elevated, heightened emotion to that intention, you actually create a magnetic field in your body. That hooks the electrical and the magnetic field together, creating a Wi-Fi, which goes into the field of infinite possibilities and will draw all the people, places, and circumstances to you. So those are deliberate. You can actually, through intention and elevated emotion, and the key with that is you just can't say the mantra and hope a hope a hope mm -hmm. You've got to get into an emotional state 
that it has already happened. You got to get into the feeling uh, realm that it's already accomplished. Not that it's going to happen, mm-hmm. not that it might happen, but that it has already happened. Yeah. I tell this to women looking for their mates. I was interviewed <laughs> by a dating service, and all the women wanted to know how to find Prince Charming. I said, You got to pretend he's already there. And how are you going to feel when he shows up? <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> funny. That, that is the key. Now, the other way you uh, synchronicities happen, I believe, is that we are graced with them by the spirit world. We have guides, angels, whatever you want to call them, uh, higher beings who actually manipulate us and put us at the right time at the right place to meet the right person. So we're like marionettes being pushed around mm-hmm. from pillar to post. And, and so those are, those are what I would call gifts from beyond. Ken, let me ask you about something that happened yesterday. I mean, I like this idea of your magnetic field. Um, I ran to Publix because it's not open today and got some groceries. And on my way out, I stopped at the lottery machine. And I thought, okay, I'm going to buy my $2 Loteria scratch-off. So I did. And then I was going to buy a gold rush for $2 for Rob, but I didn't have any more dollars left. So I thought, okay, I'll buy a $5 gold rush. So anyway, I leaned down to pick up my Loteria card I have my $5 in my hand, and there in the little tray is a $5 Gold Rush card that I didn't buy. <laughs> and she gave it, brought it home, gave it to me, and I uh, scratched it off and won $5. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Three, three fives. <laughs> Too bad it wasn't $5 million. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Right. Yeah, I have to add zeros on that. But one. I'm still trying to figure out how, how that thing ended up in the tray when I didn't buy it. You know. Right. I, I don't have an explanation for that. <laughs> I'll, be honest with you. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that happened to me. I, I went to Machu Picchu. Uh, I watched the Leonard Nimoy special at midnight. I never stay up to midnight, but I did back back in the day, uh, 15 years ago. And uh, I got this impulse. I'm going to go to this place, Machu Picchu. I, I was cold. I was emotionally cold. So I went to bed. I woke up in the morning and my wife said, uh, boy, you were up late last night. I said, honey, I watched this special with Leonard Nimoy, National Geographic. I'm going to the to the mountain called Machu Picchu. <laughs> she says, how high is it? I said, it's pretty high, honey. Eleven to 13,000 feet, depending on where you are. She says, well, have fun because I'm not going. <laughs> All right. So I go inside and I open my email on my on my computer. And the first email that popped up was from a woman, a nurse I had met seven years prior seven years prior at an energy healing conference where I was speaking and she had come over to me. We exchanged information. I hadn't heard from her in seven years. She says, dear Ken, I'm taking 16 people on a pilgrimage to Machu Picchu. Do you want to come? I picked up the phone. I was the first registrant. So we go up to 17 days in the sacred Valley. It was a life changing event uh, trip for me. Absolutely. On the winter solstice, it, it was wow. the sun coming the temple. We were the only people. We had a, a shaman uh, anthropologist who took us up there. We, he got special permission. We were there for sunset and mm. sunrise. So yeah. on the altar, we did a ceremony, and I bought this amethyst heart-shaped crystal that that I was. There was my giveaway to the group, and, and the woman who who actually took us there, she actually picked up my heart, and I picked up somebody else's gift. So I come back home and I fly to California to visit my wife, who was at the Chopra Center for Well-Being, doing a, a, an emotional workshop. Her brother had just died, and she was going there for some healing. And and I walk in, and now mind you, I gave that beautiful heart away on the mountain. 
She says, Ken, I don't know. We got the gift at the end here. And for some reason, I have two of these. And she takes it out of the pot pouch, and it's the identical heart. Jeez. The mm. same shape, same size, same color. And huh. I said, I said, did, did Deb call you and send this a special delivery here? So I called Deb, who took my heart in, in Machu Picchu. She says, no, it's still on my altar, Ken. Now, I, I see that as the returning heart cycle. I gave my heart away on the mountain, and my oh. wife gave my heart back to me. Wow. Ken's powerful. Yeah, Ken, do you remember the name of the anthropologist uh, shaman who is uh, the... I, I don't. I don't. He was, he was uh, Peruvian, a beautiful man. Beautiful oh, okay. Soul. Well, I could find out if you're interested. No, uh, I, you know, I, I just, called... I, I just had uh, some association with uh, an anthropologist uh, shaman named Alberto Vioro of the Four Winds Society I, years ago. Right. It wasn't him. I know who okay. he is. I know okay. Alberto. No, this this gentleman, uh, I don't remember his name, but he knew everything about Machu Picchu. So here's what he told us. When we did the sunrise service, he said, when the sun rises, it's going to open your third eye. And pay attention to what you see. You're going to have a vision. So we all paid attention. And I, I went over to him after the ceremony because he did a whole ceremony with a horn. He smudged us, you know, the whole nine yards. Uh -huh. And I said, you know, you know, I think I'm in the wrong place. He says, why, Ken? I said, because my vision was I was walking in the temples of Egypt. And I saw <laughs> myself in the healing temples of Egypt. He said, no, 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 right place. He said, the same technology that built the pyramids built Machu Picchu. Huh. That's what he told me. Because in Machu Picchu, if you've never been there, the stones are over 200,000 tons. And they're perfectly lined up, perfect, seamless. No crane, no modern technology could ever have positioned them. And so he said it was done through energy medicine, energetic healing, you know, energetic. Yeah. The same yeah. way that the pyramids were not, anybody listen to this, the pyramids were not built by a bunch of slaves, folks. No way, Jose. Yeah. <laughs> Have you, uh, there's another spot in Peru called Marcawasi. Have you heard of that? No, no, I don't know. But I, you know what I did do since I thought I'd never get back to Machu Picchu? I climbed to the second peak, Guanapichu. There's another 3,000 feet, and I crawled up on my hands and knees. <laughs> yeah, that's, the very, altitude, that's very yeah, steep. The altitude, yeah, the altitude is pretty severe. It's about 13,000 feet uh -huh. when you go to the second peak. The Machu Picchu is about 11. But when you look down at the village, it looks like you're in an airplane. That's, that's mm -hmm. how tiny everything looks. So uh, I... Uh, I read a, I wrote a, an original poem, and I read it on top of that mountain in honor of all the people who got killed in 9-11. Uh -huh. It was called Call Me By My True Names. And mm -hmm. uh, there were only, of the 16 of us, only four of us were able to get to the top of Wanapicha. Everybody else got sick. They weren't yeah, able to go any further. But I was determined. I was determined. I said, this is probably my one and only chance. So I crawled. He took my camera, the guy. He <laughs> says, yeah, is it heavy, Doc? I said, oh, yeah. I had the, you know, a nice camera with lenses. He said, I'll carry it for you. But that was a magical trip that I'll never wow. forget. Yeah, I've, we went into the cave. Hmm. I'm sorry. I I, I've been to Machu Picchu, and what I did is I took the I got off the train partway up and hiked uh, along the uh, Inca Trail for three days, uh, to and we on the third night we arrived uh, just above Machu Picchu. So at sunrise, you know, we're you could see it right below us, 
it was odd. I was I was with a Lebanese guy and two Israelis. So like the night before, uh, you know, it's this big discussion about the Mideast, and here we are in you know, <laughs> trail above uh, uh, Machu Picchu. But then we walked into Machu Picchu like 6.30 in the morning, and, you know, it's probably illegal. And we just walked down there, and we were the only ones in the, the whole village, you know, the whole ancient city. It was, it was just incredible for like an hour and a half before, you know, the tr- first train arrived. Anyway, so, it's very wild. Yeah, energetically, it's a special place, and, it really and it was not, there was not human sacrifice there. People weren't murdered and killed. That's baloney. They, that they protected them because the Incas, when not the uh, the Spaniards, when they came, never discovered Machu Picchu. They were above the clouds. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we happened to be there. We happened to be there on June twenty first. So the sun actually came oh. through the temple. You know, Jeez. right through the, they had a, a a geometric configuration where the sun shone into the temple. Huh. It was special. I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that whole trip. We yeah. went into the caves too. There were caves that they they went through the mountain uh, to wow. communicate with the tribes. And I got to tell you, I was in the cave. I could hear my own heartbeat. Jeez. That quiet. And that's silent. I've never experienced silence like that in my life. Oh. It was it was pitch black. You didn't. If the person was standing right next to you, you couldn't see them, but you could actually feel and hear your own heartbeat. Wow! Hmm. Did the shaman leave you in there? Yes, he did. Uh-huh. This guy was very knowledgeable. He was he was extremely. Uh, I mean, he knew everything about. It. He said he lived there. He said, you know, I'm I'm a reincarnated person who lived there. So he he kind of we got it. We got it from the horse's mouth, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I had a, a kind of a life-changing experience on the way back to Cusco from Machu Picchu on that. The tr- we took the train back, and it was, uh, I guess, a local train because it was just crowded, just cramped full of people. It wasn't a tourist train. It was just jam-packed. And uh, I had to hang on virtually from the outside, uh, like on a, a stairs, and just hanging on. And I had a, a big backpack on my back, and we're going along, and we're coming to this tunnel, and suddenly a hand from inside of the train reaches out, grabs me by the backpack, and pulls me in inst- just instants before we went right through into that tunnel, which would have knocked me off because it was so tight uh, to to the uh, train that it, w- it was that close that I would have been, you know, blown away. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know where that hand came from, but it was like an angel, you know, saved my life. I believe that. And maybe it was. I, I believe that can happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, I remember Aguas Caliente. Remember the waterfalls there? Yeah. The roar of the waterfalls. We were there. It was like Niagara Falls. It was unbelievable. Mm. Found. Anyway, Peru is a beautiful country. It breaks your heart. It breaks your heart to see the children. There's many children who live in the street who are starving. And when we yeah. went into Cusco and we went into a restaurant, the kids would come up and put their faces and hands begging for food. So, you know, we started giving them money. And then we went into the markets and they followed us. And then the guide said, hey, listen, if you don't stop giving them money, then we're never going to get out of here. <laughs> no, yeah. it, it, it's heartbreaking. You know, That's that, true of most of South America. Yeah, third world. Yeah. 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 That, was the, that was the downside, you might say, to see the, the human suffering. Yeah. yeah. How, how did you meet Ram Das, the uh, famous Richard Alpert? <laughs> <laughs> I love, that. I love the picture you sent. Yeah. 
meeting him changed my life. I, I got to tell you, meeting and being in the presence of an angel, he was, he was, he was a living saint to me. Uh, I had never in my life experienced unconditional love. As I told you, Trish, before, my mama and papa, they loved me, but they were conditioned. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but when I was with Ram Dass, I, uh, I was in an altered state of consciousness. How I got to see him is a miracle. I have a friend in New Jersey. His name is John Welshens. And John is a meditation yoga teacher. And he's a devotee of Ram Dass. He's followed Ram Dass his entire life because Ram Dass changed his life. So he found out I was going to go to Maui to take care of Wayne Dyer. I was Wayne Dyer's chiropractor and energy healer. So I was, when he heard that, he says, hey, Ken, I'll give you Ram Dass's private number. Maybe you'll get lucky and he'll, he'll give you an audience. And I said, okay. Mm. I mean, I wasn't looking for it. I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. That's what you think I should do. I had Red be here now, you know, back in the 60s. Right. I knew a little bit about him, but I was never into guruism. I never was into adulation, you know, kissing somebody's tushy mm. or feet. So anyway... <laughs> Well, when I'm in there, I'm taking care of Wayne. He says, well, give him a call and see if someone answers. Because in between, his, he did two uh, retreats a year on us. He did Opening the Heart in Paradise. He did one in April and one in December, I think. And he very rarely ever saw anybody. So I called, and I got no answer. I called a second time. Two days later, I got no answer. Finally, I said, you know what? Three times a charm. Let me try calling again. <laughs> but the reason I called the third time was we were supposed to go home on our airplane, and I get a call from the airlines, your flight has been canceled. You're going to have to stay another couple of days. I said, well, maybe that's a sign I should try one more time. Sure enough, the secretary picked up, and she says, uh, yes, we would be happy to have you come. So come tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. So I, I, I got in my car, and I drove two hours across the island, and uh, he lived on a road, a, a very uh, uh, isolated road right near the ocean. It was beautiful. Some cardiologist, this is another crazy story, some cardiologist had met him who was very wealthy, and he gave him the house. He said, here, he takes my house. But they, they were going to they were gonna be evicted from where they were before, his foundation. And the guy just gave him the mortgage and said, here, take care of it. And he was gifted. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he, he, he never left Maui for 20 years because he had been stroked. And he was he was paraplegic, not paraplegic, but, well, yeah, he was semi, semi-plegic. And, uh, you know, here was a guy, I got to say, he was in diapers. He had four people who took care of him. Uh-huh. He was paralyzed on one side of his body. And he was the most blissful person I ever met in my life. Hmm. He was in total bliss. He did not let his circumstances dictate to him anything. So I go in, and I don't even know why I'm there. And as I'm there, I start to feel a, a sense of calmness and peace just being in his presence. And he looks in my eyes. He had beautiful blue eyes. And he said, how can I help you, Ken? And all of a sudden, I, I realized that I was suffering with grief. We had a mutual friend who died whose name was Shamdas, not Ramdas, who got killed in India two years prior. And I said, I'm feeling my friend Sham. Sham, you know, I, I I just feel this unresolved grief. And I kid you not, Sham appeared in the room. He's in an apparition to let us know that I'm fine. You know, go on, go on. It's all good. There's no death. There's no death, Ken. You, know, you actually I saw my body. I dropped my body, but I am doing well. And I, you know, it was a gift. It was a gift. And and. Here's what I said to, to Ramdas before Sham actually appeared. I said, you know, Ramdas, you know, this guy Sham was like my mishpuka. 
uh, you know, which I said to him, not knowing, that's a Jewish word. It means a member of your tribe, a member of your family. Mm-hmm. And I love the man. And then he says to me, Ken, and he, and he had aphasia, so he thought to speak and stop. But he went, Ken, I know what Mishpoka means. I'm Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know his name was Richard Albert. I had forgotten. But he was very confused. And we went, into, we went in from sadness, from me almost crying to total laughter. I'll never forget because when I left him, my field, my energetic field got transmuted, transmissioned. I I was a different person. My wife, she said to me when I came back, it looked like I was stoned. I I was Mm -hmm. in an altered state of of beingness, just being in the presence of someone who loved you unconditionally. How old was he then? Uh, This happened, uh, let me see, this happened five years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm 75, so it happened when I was 70. No, I meant how old was Ram Das? Oh, oh, he died. I think he was eighty-eight. So he must have been eighty-two, eighty-three mm. at the time. Yeah, yeah. He was just—he was—he had a great sense of humor too. He was very funny. And mm. if you ever heard him speak before his stroke, he was one of the best public speakers you could listen to. He could keep an audience at the edge of their seat for three hours, and you would feel like it was five minutes. Jeez. Uh, he was wow. a great public speaker. I recommend anyone who wants to go on YouTube and listen to his old lectures. He was brilliant. He was a Ph.D. psychologist from Harvard. Right. Timothy Leary. You know, they, they gave LSD to the students, and they got fired. <laughs> right. And Leary wound up killing himself, and Ram Dass went to India in search of God. And he met this guy, Neem Karoli Baba, and the rest is history. He became a spiritual teacher. Hmm. Hmm. Ken, what, what uh, do you think might be your most uh, powerful or memorable synchronicity? Uh, she had so many, though. <laughs> yeah, right. And how did it change your life? I mean, you've already told us some. Is there any other standout? Well... Well, I've had many. There's no one, one, one. I mean, there's so many of them. Right. Uh, when I met my when I met my my spiritual father, my teacher, uh, I was a professor at the College for Chiropractic in New York, and I heard this fellow was coming to town. His name was Dr. William H. Bain. As a matter of fact, I dedicate my book to him. The picture in my beginning of my book is Bill, and so uh, Bill had a reputation. I had heard. He had the largest chiropractic service. He never called it practice in the world. He and his five brothers, they saw over 3,000 people a week. They would come by busload. By busload. All they ever adjusted, by the way, if anyone's listening, they were what they call upper cervical practitioners. They only adjusted the atlas vertebra, but they had miraculous healings. So I had heard of Bill, and he had no, by the way, he had no fee system for his service. You made a donation. It was called God Patient Chiropractic, a box on the wall. There was no mm-hmm. set fee. And, and if you had no money, that was okay, too. There was, they did not turn anybody away from their clinic. People would come. They were, in, they were in New Hampshire because chiropractic at the time was outlawed in Massachusetts. So wow. they come over the border to New Hampshire by the busload. He had a traffic cop in his driveway, directing traffic. In any case, when I had heard Bill was coming to town, he was speaking at the, at the college off, off campus nearby because they wouldn't let him on the campus because the professional people were embarrassed by the fact that he didn't charge for his services. In any case, I sit in a room, and he starts to speak. And I can tell you exactly what he said, and I start to cry. I'm in the back of the room with 200 people. And, and in that moment... Everybody else disappeared from the room. Bill came that particular day 
to remind Ken, the one we call Ken, this guy who's speaking, who he was and why he was on Earth. So I had uh, I had an epiphany. My hmm. third eye opened, and I realized who I am in essence and why I'm here. And he was the one who opened the gate for me. So the fact that I knew of him and I heard he was coming to school, uh, that was a synchronistic thing from, for me. That that was more, probably one of the most powerful in addition to, you know, meeting Wayne Dyer was very powerful, meeting Ram Dass, meeting Deepak Chopra. I mean, I met Deepak and Roy Wayne, but both of them the same day, 17 years apart. You know, but these were prearranged synchronicities. I didn't intend those. They were mm-hmm. actually given gifts. So there's many, there's many, there's other minor ones where, you know, I once had a cop come to me on my day off. He he, he pulled up, uh, uh, the office was closed. He hardly could get out of the car. I peeked through the window. I said, you know what, it's my day off. Maybe I should not see him. And of course, my soul said, hey, schmuck, open the door and help this guy. So I opened the door. I said, Mike, come on in, blah, blah, blah. I put him on a table. I said, what happened? He says, well, Ken, you know, last night I was on a motor vehicle accident call, and I was in the back of a, of a car trying to extricate two young men, two brothers. And I was given CPR to one of them, and I was in that position for over an hour until the jaws of life, we could take them out. And, and the young man died in my arms. Right mm, as I was holding him, and when I went to get up, I couldn't straighten up. The trauma and the stress of it. So I said, "All right, lie down." I took care of him. I did, gave him an adjustment, and, and I do an energetic healing called attunement. And the guy broke down and cried. He was a real tough guy, but he just hmm. he just rendered him. And when he gets back up, another person, it's my day off. The office is closed, pulls in the driveway. <laughs> I open the door, and it's my friend Doris. Now, Doris and Mike had been patients of mine for years, never met before in my office. And so Mike leaves, and Doris walks in, and Doris has what we call a condition called torticollis. She's got a right ear on her right shoulder. She can't even lift her head up. Oh, and I boy. said, oh, Doris, come on in. Let me see if I can help you. What, what happened? She says, oh, Ken, I got a phone call from my best friend. The two boys were in a car accident last night, and one of them died. Oh, and Doris, that is the gentleman who tried to save your other friend's boy. Oh, and you're kidding. I'm wow. not kidding. I'm not kidding. Oh, so here yes. I was involved in this synchronistic outworking. I never met the mother, but those two people were sent to me for help. Mm-hmm. And they never knew that they were involved in the same uh, incident in the moment. I had them come back the following week, and I introduced each other them to each other. And they hugged because they both were involved in this outworking. And so yes. was I. So I was humbled to be in the right time at the right place to offer service. And both of them didn't know my office was closed. They just felt compelled to come <laughs> see me. Huh. But can you mention the uh, Atlas, what was that, the Atlas vertebrae? Yeah, that's the first vertebra below the, the uh, well, the Atlas holds up your skull. It, it holds up. Okay. It, it, holds up the occiput bone, and that's where the spinal cord enters and exits the brain. It's the brainstem, the medulla oblongata. So any tension in that area can affect anywhere in the body. And and B.J. Palmer, the guy who developed chiropractic, he didn't discover it. His father did. B.D. Palmer discovered chiropractic. But B.J. Palmer, the Palmer College, that's all they taught for many years is to just reposition that one vertebra because mm-hmm. all your neurological tracts, ascending and descending, go through the foramen magnum, which is a hole in your head. <laughs> and if there's <laughs> tension there, nothing works 100%. So they, did, uh, they had a sanatorium in the, the Palmer College. They did research, 
And all they ever did, if a person was what we call in pattern, which means they used a, an instrument to measure their temperature differentials in the spinal column, they adjusted that vertebra. Only one in the pattern appeared, and all kinds of illnesses disappeared. Because the body is a self-healing, self-regulating organism. That's, that's the, the connecting point between your brain and your body. The atlas and the occiput is, uh-huh. is the most vital. If I had to give only one adjustment, that's the only adjustment I would ever give anybody. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So, Ken, when did you first become aware of synchronicity in your life? Probably before well, I got out of the womb. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I've had them over, you know, I'm going to be honest, I've had them probably over 20, 25 years. But within the last three or four years, they started happening with rapidity and intensity. Uh-huh. And I finally, you know, I resisted writing my book because I said, oh, so big deal. These things are happening to me. And then I got the message from Spirit World. It's, hey, schmuck. It's not about you. Write the book to teach people how to be aware, awake, of the, and alert of their own. So give them the gift. So I wrote the book to remind people that synchronicity is ubiquitous. It is happening all the time to everyone. Most people are unconscious to it. So the book gives you a roadmap to figure that out. The seven types, the six reasons you meet people, the five questions you should ask for interpretation, and the four practices to create more of them in your life. But synchronicity is the unconscious flow of love. We're all connected in the energy field. Yeah, I'm always surprised. You only need to know one other person to know the world. Not Uh, not six degrees. I'm going to tell you just one thing. Yeah. I'm always surprised when I hear people say they've never experienced a synchronicity or they've experienced one in their life, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, do you think there's a, a personality type that uh, is involved that, that, you know, allows people, to, certain people to experience synchronicities well, more than other people? Absolutely. There are certain qualities. Uh, people who experience, rap, uh, you know, numerous synchronicities are usually open-minded. They're compassionate, they're caring, they're playful, they're curious, they're Mm -hmm. genuine. They're usually above average intelligence. They're discerning, they're mindful, they they have intuitive abilities, they're appreciative, and they're sane. They're not crazy. (laughs) Those are some of the qualities. If you have some of those qualities, according to Dr. Schwartz, you know, he's the guy, Gary F. Schwartz, he's the head of the uh, University of Arizona uh, advanced studies in consciousness. He, he's uh-huh. the go-to guy for synchronicity, and this is taken from his book. What I just read to you comes out right. of his book. Yeah, there yeah. are certain qualities of personality that one has, and I just say, you know, I think they are happening to people, but you know, most people are sleepwalking through life. They're not, yeah. they're not conscious. Well, most people dismiss them as meaningless. Also, well, yeah, I just think that they're not aware, awake, and alert. They don't, they don't have the ability to connect the dots. <clears throat> you know, if you have that ability, you find it very quickly that it's happening every day. I have mm-hmm. it every single day. Last night, I went to, a, I was invited, <laughs> I was invited to a block party by a new <laughs> chiropractic friend I have down here in Florida. And so, um, you know, we're out in, in, in the street, they're playing the music, and I have to go to the bathroom. So I asked his wife, could I go in your house? I, 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 I don't take care of my needs here. She says, no, no problem. Just go through that door. So I walk through the door, and a woman's on the other side of the door, and she looks at me, and she says, hey, aren't you the guy who came to Staples last week and wanted to have his business cards printed up? It was hot. I didn't know <laughs> that they were best friends. 
I said, what are you doing here? She said, well, Scott is my chiropractor. I said, I'm mine too now. And she said, I remember you because she told me to go to the Unity Church in Naples, which I did go down there because of her. I didn't even know they had a Unity Church in Naples. And I met a, lot, a dozen people at a meet and a greet, and they all bought my book right on spot when they heard that I took care of Wayne Dyer because Wayne had a big following in, in the Unity Churches. He started out there. That's where he got his launch. So I'm laughing. I mean, I was almost floored to look at her. I, I didn't recognize, honest to God, she was behind the counter and she took care of my order. But when she saw me, she almost jumped out of her skin saying, hey, you're going to blow my health two weeks ago. So that was basically a Yeah, That's interesting. Uh, wait, what was I going to say? I just had a... Okay. One of your chapters is called Miracle on East Prospect Street. Tell us about this miracle. I, I love that story. So... I, that's where I live. I have a home office, uh, and I've been there for 45 years. I have a, a, I had my mind body wellness center was connected to my home was a, a separate uh, connected but separate. In any case, uh, one day, <laughs> one day it was December, uh, and Judy said to me, "You know, Ken, uh, let's let's decorate the house for Christmas and let's clean out the. We had a beautiful fire in our fireplace the night before. She said, "Let's clean out the fireplace." So I thought the ashes were pretty much done, you know, done deal. It's 24 hours. I had a garden in the past. I used to put them in, but the garden was gone. So she puts them in a bag and dum dum. I go down and I put them in my garbage can. <laughs> well, about four hours later, my, my, the, the, the ashes ignited the garbage can. So here's the, here's the, the backstory. Judy and I smell smoke. And she says, yeah, I smell smoke. I said, I do too, but I didn't see any fire the way my house is situated was on the side. So we stick our heads out the front door. Yeah, it must be a fire in the neighborhood. <laughs> then she gets in the car and she goes to town, right? I go back upstairs and I have a bay window which faces the south side of my house and I'm lying down taking in some, some beneficial rays. Sun, sun is good for you folks. They told you not to go in the sun, go in the sun. <laughs> it gives you vitamin D3. Anyway, I'm lying there. All of a sudden, the neighbor across the street who used to work for me came home early that day from her job and was at her kitchen and she looks out and she sees flames shooting out God. the side of my house and she oh. screams, she's Irish, she screams in a voice that could wake up the dead, Dr. Harris, your house is on fire. <laughs> so I wake up quick, I run downstairs and I see flames flying, I have a wooden fence, my car's parked right in front of it, we have a wooden deck, I had a cord of wood behind, I, I, I I couldn't believe what I was seeing. In any case, it so happened that year, I didn't shut off my hose. Okay, I kept my hose hook up. Normally, by December 15th, hoses are gone because they freeze. This right. year, I didn't do it for some reason. So I grabbed the hose, and I started dousing it. With that, a guy pulls in the driveway, an unknown person, and he says to me, you got a fire extinguisher? I said, yeah. He says, go get it. I'll take the hose. So he knew exactly God. what to do, and he starts to douse it. Meanwhile, the fire is intensifying. Right? I mean, the whole side of my house is starting to go up. I come back, I give him, I give him the uh, fire extinguisher. He must have been a fireman because he knew what he was doing. And he had already called the fire department. So with that, within two or three minutes, they were only down a block from me to fire department. They could have walked to me. The guys got there, they come, they subdue the fire. I mean, it was, it was a, at a point where a voice, my voice, the soul said, hey, if this thing doesn't shut down, run for your life. I mean, I actually heard the voice say, get your tushy out of here because you're going you're gonna to die. So they got here, the firemen put the fire out. The next 
two hours after it's all over, the uh, <laughs> this guy is taking pictures of my house. And I said, excuse me, and he's on a T-shirt. I said, excuse me, sir, don't you see we just had a fire? You know, the, the commotion here, the, the police are here. He says, I'm the fire marshal. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I said, what happened is Dum Dum put the ashes into the can and, and it ignited. Oh, so right. we never found out who the guy was. I asked all the firemen, the cops. No one knew who he was. So touched by an angel? I don't know. You know, like the guy who pulled you in from the train. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. yep. That's a great story. So before you yeah. met, uh, Ken, before you met Deepak Chopra, you had uh, a precognitive dream related to that. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, I had a, I had a precognitive dream that I was going to meet Deepak. I was going to, well, I was going to meet Deepak on the beach, I was going to meet Wayne walking and I was going to meet Oprah Winfrey. All three of them were in the same dream, but it wasn't, it wasn't a normal dream. It was a vivid dream. You know, the vivid dreams are a lot more real than uh-huh. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that all, so far I met Wayne walking twice and Deepak walking twice along the ocean, just him and me. And, and I, I met Deepak the first time after I had met, met Wayne because I was at a seminar in Northern California. And uh, I remember taking a picture with Wayne and I, he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go down and see Deepak Chopra. He says, he's my friend telling hello for me. So the guy who owned the company says to me, hey, you got an appointment with Deepak? Do you know if he's in town? He gave me all the negatives why I wasn't going to meet him. I said, no, I, I know I'm going to meet him because I dreamt I was going to meet him. So I get on the airplane, fly down from Northern California, uh, San Francisco to L.A. I, I go to the Chopra Center, which at the time was in La Jolla. It moved to Carlsbad, but it was in La Jolla when he was starting out. And I check into the Empress Hotel, which is two blocks from the Chopra Center. And I said to the girl, by the way, how far is it to the Chopra Center? I, that this is one of the hotels they suggest you stay in. So I'll just go out the door, make a right, go to the corner, make another right, go down two blocks, which I proceeded to do. Well, when I turned the corner, I literally belly-butted with Deepak. We almost knocked him on his ass. I'm not kidding you. And he looked at me and he says, Oh, I said, Oh, I've been looking for you, Deep. <laughs> he says, Hi. And then I told him I was with Wayne and I showed him a picture. I was inviting him as a guest uh, keynote speaker to a conference I was facilitating in upstate New York at a place called the Mohonk Mountain House, which mm. is an incredible place in New Paltz. It's a 300-room castle on a mountain lake with 8,000 acres. And wow. I showed him a picture of it, which caught his attention. He said, whoa. He got on the phone. He said to his secretary, uh, make a note that Dr. Harris is going to come tomorrow and spend three hours with me. He wants to invite me to this conference. And that's what happened. I went up. We had a lovely time. I mean, it was just he and I. What a sweet man. I'll never forget what he said to me. You know, I, I said, you know, I have a mind-body center, Deepak, and I showed him my, my list of classes. I had more classes going on than he did at the Chopra Center. <laughs> he called the girl and he says, we got to do this. He said to her right in front of her, you see what this one man's doing? We got to do this. Anyway, he... he uh, he was very, very kind, very kind, and, and actually blessed me. He says, you know, he says, you're on a mission. And I asked him at that time, I said, you know, Deepak, can, can I teach your seven spiritual laws of success based on your book? He said, my blessing, which I did all around the country. Wow. I taught it all over the country because I love that book. The seven spiritual laws of success, if anyone doesn't know about it, is a great handbook for, for spiritual success. 
and, wow. and personal success. The seven mm. different laws you practice one day each week. Anyway, uh, that's how I met Deep, Deepak. I was actually, yeah. I, I, I knocked him on his behind. <laughs> and so when I met Wayne, I met Wayne in California. He, he flew. Did anyone know Debbie Ford? Debbie right. Ford, she used to do awesome. shadow work. She, uh -huh. she was also... I also worked on her energetically, uh, unbeknownst to Deepak and, and Wayne, but she had passed away, and both Wayne and Deepak were at her funeral giving the eulogy, and that's when I met them the second time Yeah, uh, so, in California. So you, in this precognitive dream, you met two of the three. What happened to Oprah? <laughs> well, here, here's, here's, the, here's the back story. She's in waiting. Oprah's in, in the wings. <laughs> I, uh, she was interviewing me about a book I hadn't even written yet. Okay, well, now I wrote the book. So, yeah, no, she was giving me a you know Super Soul Sunday under the tree in Montecito, and, mm. and uh, she was asking me questions about synchronicity at the time. So I didn't meet her yet. So I'm yeah. hiking in the woods, upstate New York, and within ten feet of me is Gail King. Just my wife Judy and I were walking in a, a very isolated path, and Gail King appears. She's at the Mohawk Mountain House for the weekend, and I run up to her and I tell her my dream. I tell her my story. Lovely human being. She's really sweet. She says, "Ken, give me a card. I will give it to Oprah. She loves stories yeah. like this." Yeah. Huh. All right. I don't hear nothing from Oprah yet. Six months go by. We were in California this time. I'm at the Hyatt Regency in La Jolla. I'm eating at the club level of my breakfast by myself, and Stedman Graham sits down next to me. And I start to laugh, and, he, and I said, excuse me, I don't mean to be laughing, but I got to ask you, is Oprah with you? He says, why do you ask, Ken? And I tell him my, my precognitive dream. He says, verbatim, give me your card, Ken. Oprah loves stories. <laughs> I know it, I, it already happened in the 5D reality. It's just a question to catch up. Right now, it all COVID, she's kind of locked down. I don't think she's letting anybody near her. But I yeah. believe, I really believe that it had happened in the 5D and it will happen in the 3D. Yeah. Maybe she's waiting for your next book. <laughs> well, that's going to be called, you know, I told you what my next book is, uh -huh. <laughs> Extra Innings, A Reprieve from Sudden Death. Uh -huh. If I had a heart attack last year, I should have died, but I didn't. So oh. that's a whole other story. <laughs> that was interesting. So my my thought about the the Oprah thing was that that dream was more about Chopra and Oprah. You, look at the name, Oprah Chopra. Chopra. Yeah. <laughs> so close, you know. Well, we'll see. You know, <laughs> it remains to be uh, continued. Let me yeah. put it that way. <laughs> but I did meet I did meet a gentleman. I met a gentleman who his name is Eddie, and he's the. Um, He's the project manager for ABC News. Uh, you know, Good Morning America. Uh, He's yeah. the guy who runs all the cameras, and I met him. We became friends. And I asked him if he could help me to get connected to Oprah. So he says, no, I can't get you to Oprah, but I, my best friend is Gail King's secretary. So I know she got the book. He uh, gave it to her. That's one way. I have three other people who, know, who work for Oprah who, who I know. Elizabeth Lesser and two others who I, I can't mention their names, mm -hmm. they all sign what they call non-disclosure agreements, promising not to give Oprah anything, because they, they told me that she gets thousands of things every day from oh, all yeah. over the world, mostly yeah. requests for money from people <laughs> to help them. <laughs> So, so, but one of them, one of them gave me an address in California, not Chicago, not New York. She's got a place in California where if you send it, there are people, that's all they do all day long is open her mail. Oh and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that my book will finally wind up on her, her desk. Mm. I sent it to her. 
So we'll wait and see. I'm very patient. Listen, the universe has all the time in the world. There's no rush. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, that's it's, fascinating. That's interesting. You've you've come across so many interesting people in your journey. What about John Denver? Tell us about that. <laughs> that was Carter. a funny story. Well, he was one of my heroes back in the day. You know, I I, I taught seminars, uh, transformational uh, seminars all around the country, and I always used his music because his music had a message. It wasn't mm-hmm. entertainment. If you listen to his words, mm-hmm. there's meaning and purpose. So. Uh, uh, I invited him to be a keynote speaker at one of our whole health gatherings in Estes <clears throat> Park, Colorado. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it because he had a conflict. So lo and behold, I'm out in uh, I'm out in Arizona with my family vacationing, and my wife gets the impulse that we're supposed to go up to another hotel and, and check it out. So we pack the kids in the car. We drive up two hours from from uh, from the hotel we were staying in, and we go to this place called Care Carefree Arizona. And there's a beautiful hotel there called the Boulders. So we chew up to eat lunch, and right in front of me is John Denver, his wife, and an Englishman. And this um, maitre d' seats them. And I said to the maitre d', I said, by the way, could you put our table right next to John Denver? (laughs) He said, that was John Denver? I said, yeah, you just sat John Denver. I recognized him, obviously. Mm-hmm. So we sit down, and of course, me being Irish and shy, I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> I, I, pray, I make a conversation with John, and he was a beautiful, beautiful, friendly guy. I mean, he was heartfelt. And, and so we had an exchange. You know, we talked for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then when he went to get up, he came over to my table and put his hand out. And this happened, and it only happened once in my life. He shook my hand, and I had an innate flash that he was going to die in a plane crash. Wow. But what do you? What am I supposed to do? Tell him, hey, by the way, John, you're going to die in a plane crash. So he I didn't said, say be anything. careful flying. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I didn't say anything, but I was like shocked. I saw it. I actually saw it, and I said to my kids and my wife, I said, "There's something strange just took place." And they said, "What?" And I told them. They said, "Oh, Daddy, you're crazy. Yeah, that's not going to happen." So we go back to our hotel two hours later. And within a half hour, my kids come running over. To, we were in the pool, and they said, Daddy, Daddy, we just heard on the radio, John ben Denver took off from that airport in Carefree, and his plane flipped over, but he's fine. He didn't, he didn't die. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, my God. Wait, seven years later to the day, he died. By wow, himself. to the day? That's something. In, in an experimental aircraft right. he was going yeah. I just broke down and cried. I was watching TV and it came across and I just bawled my eyes out because I believe, you know, I believe that we incarnate in soul tribes and I believe that John Denver was a soul brother. I believe that Ram Dass was my soul brother and then, what's his name? Uh, Wayne Dyer. I don't think Deepak and I were soul brothers, but Wayne definitely. I mean, what I shared with Wayne was deep. I mean, I didn't just adjust them. We did energetic healing where I didn't know where he began and I ended or I ended and he began. We actually merged in in the field. So, you know, we're not walking here by ourselves, folks. Anyone listening to this, you've got soul brothers and sisters and it's got nothing to do with your DNA. Hmm. Ken, because you used to travel and teach so much, this pandemic has kind of put a, put a damper on a big part of your life. Well, I've been doing these podcasts and radio interviews, but I am chomping at the bit to get out and meet the people. I love to be with the folks. So in two weeks' time in Florida, they've opened up a restaurant. I'm going to be speaking, get this, to the Woo Woo Sisters Club. 
The Woo-Woo Sisters. Woo-Woo Sisters. That's the name of the group. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. Once a month, they when COVID stopped it, but once a month they invite a transformational healer in. And I got uh-huh. through synchronicity. I met the, I met the head honcho and she invited me. So I'm going to go in this? two weeks on the 17th. Where, where is this? It's going to be in, uh, it, it's in the Naples proper. It's on uh, highway 41. It's uh-huh. at a, a season's 52 restaurant. Uh-huh. But it's a closed meeting. You've got to be a rule. Right, right. It's yep, not to the public. That's cool. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it too. And they're beautiful. They're, you know, these are these are sweet people who are open. You know, mm-hmm. they they invite a, a speaker every month of, of of this nature. You know, I'm I'm going to be the doctor of synchronicity. They're going to call me. That is so cool. <laughs> the Woo Woo Sisters. In your yep. book, uh, can your in your book you get very personal about your family life, and it, both your parents seem to have some uh, problems with depression. Uh, and how did that affect your life? Well, not both. My mother wasn't depressed. My mother was Irish Catholic and had a heart of gold and loved the world. My dad was depressed. Oh, okay. My dad dad had been in and out of hospital several times with clinical depression. And uh, it stemmed, stemmed, I think, somewhat from his childhood and and the war. My father was one of the guys who landed on Normandy Beach and and survived. And he Hmm. marched straight across all of France straight across Belgium. He was an infantryman, and he went into Germany at the end of the war in the Battle of the Bulge. And wow. he had to see and do some, I'm, pretty, I'm sure he had to kill people and, and see terrible things. Yeah. So he suffered from clinical depression uh, and was hospitalized three times. But the mm-hmm. thing that brought my father out of it was a religious conversion. He finally, he was an atheist his whole life. And, and at the end of his life, he became a, uh, <laughs> he became a Pentecostal healer with my mother. Wow. My mother was Irish Catholic. She got excommunicated from the church because she married out of her religion. My father had a religious conversion experience. He used to say, Ken, I, I've, uh, I am a completed Jew now. I don't, I accepted Jesus as the, you know, as my Lord and Savior kind of thing. But my people made a boo-boo. He said, we should have known that he was the Messiah. And they did, my parents spoke in tongues. They did healings. church. Yeah. But I never bought into any of it. I was kind of like the renegade. My sister was a nun. So I ain't got a mixed bag here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> really? That's interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. You write about something called hypomanic wellness. Hypomanic. hypomanic wellness. What is that? Say that again? I'm no. Sure I Hi- hypomanic. You know hypomanic wellness is what uh, Chris Mackey oh, talked okay. about. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right. That was you got one. the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah, he was on the cafe. That guy's an interesting guy. He's from Australia. He really is. Yeah. Oh, nice man. He's a psychologist, I think. Yeah, he's a clinical psychologist in Australia. And, uh, yeah, he was on our podcast. His podcast is going up tonight. Yeah. So. yeah, he's a great guy. I only met him briefly you know, last month, but I liked what he had to say. You yeah. have to come back to the Coincidence Cafe, Ken. <laughs> Ken? Yeah, but I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said, I really want you to come back to the Coincidence Cafe. Oh, that was wonderful. Wasn't I mean, it? Dr. Beitman, Dr. who's an MD psychiatrist, the, yeah. the number one Jungian psychiatrist in America, he put together this group, this constellation of the synchronicity authors. And Trish, you're one of them. I'm one of them. There's several other people there. Uh, we're, we're quite a we're quite a 
crew. Like, actually, yeah, it's we're, really we're, interesting. We're, we're different. We're, we're different for sure. But you know, that, that's what makes horse races, right? We're all, everybody <laughs> has a different. Everybody has a different uh, understanding, a different lens of consciousness. Yeah. We just happen to see synchronicities. All those people, wherever we look, because we're we're looking for them, you know, and they find us. So, but I, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, There's a lady there who did it with children. She had a lot of. Yeah, life Yeah, very sweet. I think she was your friend, right, Trish? Yeah, she is. She is. No, no, for a long. And then we got Amalia, who wasn't on it, who I love. She wrote a book called Synchronicity, which, by the way, is better written than mine. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, she's going to be on in I, April. Later. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. She's a sweetheart. She's in Mexico right now, and she's 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 got an interesting life. Her story will, will blow you away. What she had to go through. Okay. So I'll let her speak for herself when you <laughs> interview it. Yeah. What's what's your advice, Ken, for other people on how to create uh, an inner climate for synchronicity? I would just say, wake up every day in a in a, in a spirit of uh, compassion and love and thankfulness. <coughs> just stay open. Say, okay, universe, who who are you going to send today to to meet me? You know, and 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 what reason would they be coming into my life to encourage me, to inspire me? to unfold me, maybe to marry me. Who knows? A lot of women are looking for their, for their mate. You got to stay open. You just got to, you just got to pay attention, stay aware, awake and alert. But I think the the number one quality to have synchronicity is thankfulness. Mm-hmm. Just be thankful for the gift of being alive and, yeah. and, and, and the five wonders of the world, sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell. You don't mm-hmm. have to travel anywhere. It all come to you. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's cool. Can tell tell our listeners where they can find you, what your about your website, where your book is. Well, so, all right, well they can find me on uh, on uh, on my at my the best place to find me is in my website. Uh, it's it, here's here's it's here's the title of my website. D O C T O R. They wouldn't let me use D R because someone else had it. The whole word doctor and then my name Ken Harris K E N. H a double R I S dot com, okay. and everything you want to know about me is on that website. And I'll tell you, I I'm pretty transparent. <laughs> I don't have I don't have a big filter, and, and in the book I tell all too. I don't hold back. You You're know, a Leo. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Leo. You know, I, I'm an open book. I figure if I tell the truth, then I have nothing to hide. That's you know, true. No one's gonna no one's gonna pull my covers because I'll pull them before they <laughs> they pull them. <laughs> and so book- they can find me on on the web. Doctor D O C T O R Ken Harris dot com, and I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Blah blah blah. But go to my website. All my data is there. Contact information and some great interviews. I have a lot of good interviews and a lot of. I, and I give a monthly newsletter out for free as well. So with consciousness and spirituality and healing information, and uh, you know the rest is history. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for. Uh, I'm waiting for Oprah, actually. Once she calls me, she says, Ken, once once you get on Oprah, you're going to sell 100,000 books the first week. But I didn't write the book to make money. I wrote the book to wake people up. I was very successful in private practice. I don't really need the money. I'll give you the five-page printout from the book for free. So go on and have fun. But my stories are pretty interesting. Your stories are fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Thank you Well, this has been great, Ken. Please let us know when you're going to... Public somewhere, so, <laughs> other than the woo woo. I will, I will. It'll get listed on my website, but you know, this COVID, uh, the veil of COVID has to be lifted. Sooner yeah, or later. yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know, we got to get back to living our lives. Please, right. please. Yeah. And this has and, been a very goes- challenging time for a lot of people.
Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. And and by the way, speaking of COVID, uh, Ken, have you have you been into NYC or Manhattan uh, in any time recently? Or have, no, have... I, I try to avoid it at all costs. Okay. I grew up in that, New York. I think you, you know? just told me I what I needed to know. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't I don't venture into the city uh, except if I was to go to Broadway or to a museum mm-hmm. or to do a talk. Manhattan is not. I'm, I'm a country bumpkin. I I have to be in nature every day. So I walk by the ocean or I walk in the forest every single day. Well, that's so, how you access the field of infinite possibilities. Well, so so let me throw this one out to you because I was kind of curious to ask you this question since since you're from there, I'm not obviously. You're probably from my accent, <laughs> you can tell that. But um, uh, my first trip into well i'd been through new york a couple times like had been in LaGuardia airport uh on a connection flight and had drove through in a or rode through in a bus Uh, about 10 years ago i took a train took amtrak from harrisburg pennsylvania into um uh oh good lord What's Penn what's the, what's Penn Station? Yeah, underneath. I was I was, was going to say the station underneath Madison Square Garden. <laughs> so so yeah, Penn Station, and so I'm walking up through the bowels of Penn Station. I finally make it to the steps to walk up onto the sidewalk on 34th Street for the first time, feet on the ground in New York. One of the most unique experiences I've ever had in my life because talking about energy fields, I was I was I was I was like supercharging from the energy <laughs> as I walked up out right. of Penn Station. Yep. Right. Well, you know, it's a city that never sleeps. Right. In any given in any given moment, you know, someone's being born in New York, someone's dying, yeah, someone's right. in an accident, someone's being rescued from a fire. It's a it's an intense. If you have any empathic qualities, you walk into New York. And you don't have your shields up, you can be burnt up. Yeah, literally. Yeah. I mean, because it's all happening simultaneously. Well, I, I, you know, I call eight, it. I call it. People. I call it my personal charging station. I mean, <laughs> I really want to call it specifically on 34th Street. Or you could be, <laughs> yeah. be discharged too. Sure. It can go both ways. You can yeah. get charged, or you can be discharged. Well, yeah, well, New York is a strange, unique place. There's no other place on the planet like the Big Apple. It <laughs> is. It's really. Uh, I mean. I think it's a special place, but yeah, but I'm just passing through most of the time. So, yeah, but at any rate, aren't we all just passing through? Well, that's what are you true. Doing down that's here true. In Florida? Yeah. I said, hey, I'm just visiting like the rest of us. We're all, we're all just visiting this planet temporarily. Right. You know? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, this has been great. 